text is found in chapter 42 of Genesis. We have read in the scripture reading, but I want to just set a background for that and back up to verse 53 of the previous chapter in Genesis chapter 41. We're going to see this morning Joseph as Savior. There are many types in the Bible. A type is a picture that represents deep spiritual truth that the Lord wants to show us. Some would argue that Joseph is not a type of the Savior based solely on the the basis that Joseph has not said that in the New Testament. But as John Phillips says, a type will intrude itself whether it's named or not. And we see so many similarities here. Joseph certainly, if not a type of the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, he is a Savior to his family and his brethren, is he not? In verse 53, we see, in the seven years of plenteousness that was in the land of Egypt were ended. And the seven years of dearth began to come, according as Joseph had said. And the dearth was in all lands, but in all the land of Egypt there was bread. And when all the land of Egypt was famished, the people cried to Pharaoh for bread. And Pharaoh said unto all the Egyptians, Go to Joseph. This morning, on the authority of the Word of God, we point to the Lord Jesus Christ. And we would say this, go to Jesus. Whatever your need, whatever your circumstance, whatever your burden or problem, go to Jesus. He alone who has the reserves, the resources, the grace that you need. Go unto Joseph, what he saith to you, do. And the famine was over all the face of the earth, and Joseph opened all the storehouses and sold unto the Egyptians that the famine waxed sore in the land of Egypt. And all countries came into Egypt to Joseph for to buy corn, because that the famine was so sore in all the lands. It matters not what the economic condition of a various people or nation or what their government may be called, whether they have a democracy or a republic or a socialist government or a king, whether their crops are bountiful today, whether their oil reserves are plenteous or not, whether they're in the sunshine of glory and prosperity or whether they're digging out of the rubble of horrible earthquakes or whether they're rationing water as they are in California. We all need to go to Jesus, the Savior. They came from all countries. Joseph had the answer, didn't he? He had the supplies. He had what they needed, quite simply, we point you to Jesus Christ. Our gracious Heavenly Father, how overwhelmed we are at the grace of our Savior, at His unlimited stores and supplies, grace to save the sinner, grace to keep us saved. Grace to restore the backslidden. Grace, grace, 
grace. Lord, we have not money to buy. Your word says, Ho, everyone that is thirsty, let him come and buy without money. We praise the Lord that while we point people to our Savior, we can tell them the price has been paid. It is not because the price was not great or because that grace is cheap. Oh, how lavish you've lavished it upon us. But how infinite, expensive was the cost of this grace wherein we stand. And while we point all, whether they're a child or woman or man or teenager or elderly, we point them all to Jesus Christ. We can do so in the authority of your word, just as the Pharaoh pointed all these people to Joseph. We point to our Savior who is ready to save, who will receive all who come to him, who has healings in his wings, who has the bomb that they need, who has the resources and the stores unlimited that are so desperately needed. Help us to see, Lord, that our deepest needs are the inner man and of the soul, and that those things must be attended to first before all these things will be added unto us. Seek you first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And so we come this morning. Lord, would you unfold to us Would you pull back the cover of your treasures this morning? Would you bring forth out of the treasuries of heaven the glories of our Savior? Would you show us his jewels? Would you show us the the rich bread that will satisfy our hunger and the water from which if we drink we will never thirst? Remind us, dear Lord. We're so prone to forget We pray for our children. We pray for the special people, those who are meeting across the way. Be with them, dear Savior, and show them the things of Christ as we meet here. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. There are 13 famines recorded in the Scripture, each one with a specific reason. When we hear things in the earth today, catastrophes, whatever they may be, It's always interesting to me that the talking heads, the commentators will give their opinions and sometimes they will interview religious leaders or movie stars or other people and ask their opinion about the catastrophe, the famine, the earthquake or whatever. And you have all kinds of answers, don't you? Uh, you You hear everything on earth. But the 13, I will say this, the 13 famines in the Bible are recorded for a reason. There are two famines which are used to drive God's people to himself. Here in Genesis 42, God uses the severe famine to drive Joseph's brethren to Egypt to him. Do you see how God will use circumstances to, to bring 11 brothers to one brother to make things right? Isn't that amazing? They would not have come to Egypt, would they? Can you imagine any circumstance that would have brought Joseph's brothers to him unless they were pressed to do so? They had business to attend to, flocks and herds. They were wealthy men, expanding families. Those heads of their families represented many underneath each one of them. They would not have left their duties, their their flocks, their business to come to Egypt under any other circumstance than having been pressed to do so. 
We see that also in our lives that God will so arrange circumstances to press us to do the right thing. To press us to come to Christ. If I were to ask for testimonies this day of how you came to Christ, no doubt many of you would give me circumstances that would would show that you were pressed, you were guided in a narrow way to come to Jesus Christ. You had no other alternative but to fling yourself on His mercy and grace. They would not have come to Egypt. They would have never been reconciled to their brother had the Lord not sent a famine. Now, no one wants a famine. No one wants a tragedy or a catastrophe. But one day during the the future great tribulation, famine will cause Israel to seek Christ, the Messiah. This famine was predicted and, and it came. Whatever God's word says will come to pass, will come to pass. This book is a self-fulfilling prophecy. Everything it says comes to true. It's one of the the earmarks, one of the, the loudest amens to its accuracy and its infallibility. Chapter 41, verse 53, we read, In the seven years of plenteous that was in the land of Egypt were ended, the seven years of death began to come, or dearth. As Joseph had said, you underline, as Joseph had said, Joseph's word was not his own, was it? His dream was not from within. It was sent to him from the Lord. He was compelled to tell it to others, the message of God's word. And so it is with us today. The dearth was in all the lands. But in all the land of Egypt, there was bread. Every year in August... The banks of the renowned Nile River would overflow from waters rushing down from the sources thousands of miles away, down through Ethiopia to to Egypt. The Egyptians, uh, like clockwork, would count on the the, the August flooding of the Nile Rivers. It would flood their, their rich, fertile lands. And because of that, they the Egyptian priests would dutifully each year go out with their measuring rods and measure the depth of the Nile and report that Ra had done it again. The sun god, praise be to Ra. And they would have lavish festivals and feasts commemorating the flooding of the Nile and that another year of crops and plenteousness would be to the land. For seven years, the flow of the harvest were unusually bountiful. This was like the bonus at the end of the year. And they began to rejoice in in the the prosperity. Their economy was going to the roof. The the stock market, I'm just putting it in today's terms, is climbing every day. At the end of the day, you'd hear on the news, 300 points it ended today. 1,000 points. You could imagine people, if every day for years you heard the stock market is, is just hitting the roof and and people can see the dollar signs, their investments, their annuities, their their retirement is just bringing it in. And so when the plan that Joseph had suggested to increase taxation, they thought nothing of it. We've got a bountifulness. They they gave to the to Pharaoh and this program that God had given to Joseph. They bought grain and its surplus, stored it away, and then it all ended. Have you noticed that stock markets fall, that the housing boom bursts, that big companies lay off, and that circumstances come that nobody saw coming? 
We didn't see this, we hear the prognosticators say. We didn't see that, that chickens would get a, a disease or that, that the cotton would have a bow weevil or that technology would, would come to, that someone would scam it or intervene or, or steal our technology, and then it ends. In the eighth year, there was no flooding. In the ninth year, there was no flooding. In the tenth year, there was no flooding. And the word of the Lord that he had given to his servant Joseph was being lived out before them. We're living in a day when God's word is being lived out before us. In the latter days, evil men shall wax worse and worse. People will be without natural affection. Children turning against parents and and parents against children. Disobedient, truce breakers. Apostasy. Men who preach for years, exactly as I am this morning, all of a sudden turning away from it and said, I don't believe it. I never did believe it. I was acting a part. People are are being shocked to their, their, their senses that we know the Word of God has prophesied these things. And as we see them unfolded before us, we begin to think, is this what the Scriptures meant? I'm sure that those who had heard Joseph's prophecy began to to think, his brothers did, didn't they? The Bible tells us that that they began to to consider their ways, and we'll get to that in just a moment. But this, here they come. We see there in verse 54 that the seven years of dearth began to come according as Joseph had said. In verse 55, all the land of Egypt was famished. The people cried to Pharaoh for bread. He said, go to Joseph. And the famine was over all the face of the earth. Here they come, going to Joseph bowing down before Joseph. Pharaoh says, go to Joseph, do whatever he says to you to do. We cannot help but think those who know the Scripture and who compare Scripture with Scripture. One of my favorite portions of Scripture and a verse I love to preach on is found in John's Gospel at the wedding of Cana. And there at the end of the the several-day feast, you fathers who put on weddings for daughters, you ought to be glad that your the reception didn't last 7 to 15 or 14 days. And some of you men who have multiple daughters, you can imagine why they had dowries during those days and all those other financial arrangements. The wedding went on, and you, you put it on as long as the, the folks came from, here comes cousin so-and-so, you hadn't seen them in 50 years, but there's a wedding feast that's going to last for two weeks, and they've come and they've camped out. They want the food spread, and and this was a constant spread of food. And they ran out of wine, and they came to Mary. And Mary says exactly what we see here of of Pharaoh saying, Whatever he saith unto you, do it. This is the message of the gospel. We point men and women to Jesus Christ. He has storehouses of grace. Riches and treasures, bread and water, supplies that the soul needs that you cannot find anywhere else. That verse I was quoting from from Isaiah, Ho, everyone that thirsteth in spirit, come, come to the waters. Come without money and buy the choicest because the price has been paid. I don't know if you've ever been in that situation, but perhaps... 
sometime in your life, you've gone to pay a bill and maybe someone saw you in the restaurant or someone took the tab and you go to pay the bill and someone says, I'm, it's been paid for, you don't owe anything. At first, it's just unbelievable, you know, in your mind. How could this be? Oh, what grace. What a blessing, we say, that is. I want to remind everyone under the sound of my voice that you are a debtor. You are a debtor to the perfections of a triune God. He is absolutely without error or fault. The soul that sinneth, it shall die. There's none righteous, no, not one. We're debtors to the perfection of God. And so we could never pay that debt. Work as we may, be as good as we can. On our best day, we're awful sinners, aren't we? Even when we begin to think about our goodness, pride slips in and we see what a terrible, wretched sinner we are. Apart from God's grace, all of us are wretched and hell-bound sinners. You must be reconciled to God. But how? How can we be reconciled to Him? We go to His Savior, the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, who has storehouses of grace. All you need, you'll find in Him. Go to Jesus and do what He says. And, and what is it that He says to do? When Jesus began to preach publicly, His message began with this, Repent and believe the gospel. Turn from your sinfulness. Turn from the road that you're on. You're on the wrong road. You're born on the wrong road. You're born a sinner. You are not a sinner because you sin. You sin because you are a sinner. My old analogy, you know I'll get back to snakes one way or the other. Some of the deacons have been sending, or a deacon's been sending me some of the snakes he's found at his house. And I tell him to keep them there, okay? But a snake, and these are not poisonous snakes, he assures me. They're all poisonous to me. I just want you to know, go on the record. I, I, I consider them, whether they're green or pink or black, people ask what kind of snake it was. It was a snake. And I expect all of them to bite. Now, I'm being facetious here, but I will tell you, those poisonous snakes that do bite, they, they bite because they are poisonous snakes that will at some point bite. You can be kind to it, you can perfume it, you can put a bow around it, you can feed it, you can put it in a silk pillow in a nice little house, but you stick your hand in there at the wrong time or at any time, at some point, that snake, at some point we know this, it will strike because it is, after all, a snake. And you, my friend, no matter how educated you are, how nice you may be, no matter what a good husband you may be, or a father, or a mother, or a church member, or whatever it is, you are a sinner. And I say that not condescendingly. I say it as a dead man to dying men, as a sinner to other sinners. We are sinners. The famine is all around us. It's not getting any better. In fact, it's going to get worse. We must go to the one who has resources, treasures of grace, that he will give to us and lavish upon us. Come unto me, all ye that are labor, heavy laden. I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Friend, your, your burden of sin is heavy, but his burden is light. Go to Jesus and do what he says. This is the promise of the gospel. For as many as received him, to them gave he the power to become the sons of God. To as many who believed on his name. 
the whole purpose of the famine was to bring people of every land and tribe and nation to Joseph, especially his brethren, to the Jew first and also to the Greek, the gospel call goes. The Holy Spirit moves the narrative from Egypt over to Canaan. And there we see the plight of Joseph's brethren in verse 1 of our text. Now, when Jacob saw that there was corn in Egypt, this is almost a humorous verse. He says to his sons, these grown men over households and their own businesses, he says, why do you stand there looking at each other is what he's saying. Why are you just standing there looking around as if the answer is going to come from one another? I see great perturbedness, if that's a word, in Jacob, don't you? It's almost as if he says, if I raised y'all to be as ignorant as you are, there's no, there's no resources here. I have heard, and if Jacob had heard it, guess what? They had heard it as well, hadn't they? If old granddaddy Jacob knew there was supplies in Egypt, these guys stand there fumbling their thumbs. What are we going to do? What are we going to do? Go to Egypt. He said, Behold, I have heard that there is corn in Egypt or grain in Egypt. Get you down hither and buy for us from thence that we may live and not die. He's very blunt. There's great need and someone needs to do something about it. I want you to know that the need is great. The hour is late. Those of you who are outside of Christ, why tarry you here? Why stand here twiddling your thumbs, waiting for something else? As if that, that waiting or there's some, the tide is going to change and things will be better after a while. No, things are going to get worse. The Bible promises us that this famine is going to multiply into unspeakable things. And after this, the judgment. Some have erroneously criticized Joseph's treatment of his brothers as being harsh and they... They point to the word roughly there in the scripture, but we can look at this as Joseph is speaking plain. And if we're ever going to speak plain, some criticize the type preaching that I do, the type preaching that I'm doing this morning. But when we come to the matters of the soul, there's no need to soft coat it. If the Bible tells us we're all sinners on our way to an eternity without the grace of God, someone better... How nicely can you tell someone their house is on fire and you get out the door? Do you send an invitation? Do you stand out and knock and ring the doorbell? If you're anyone of any caliber at all, you'll break windows if you have to, won't you? And alarm the people. that Death is at hand. The house is falling in around them. Sometimes people will say, Brother Lamb, I'd like for you to speak to my... my child, my son, and he's in the hospital and they'll arrange, you know, for me to go see them and I'm, I'm glad to do what I can. But don't upset him. He's dying of cancer and he doesn't have long to live. But he's desperately lost and needs to be saved. In other words, they're saying, get him saved but don't act like this. Don't, don't get him upset about the matter. That's a very difficult task to do, isn't it? I know we ought to speak the truth in love and be conscious of the circumstances at hand but there's not too many nice ways to tell people they're wicked and and undone and can't please anybody especially God and that they must fling themselves on the mercy of Jesus Christ but desperate hours take for men and women who'll stand and earnestly plead with them what does the old songs tell us 
Plead with them earnestly. Plead with them gently. He will save if they only believe. The hour is late. I see some gray heads out there. I see some wrinkles in people's faces. I know because of various circumstances that that many of us, by the law of averages, don't have long on this earth. There are more days behind us than there are in front of us. I know that there are circumstances of loved ones that are desperate and you had better be on the the knees and pleading at the mercy seat that Christ the Savior would save. And so I, as the patriarch, as Jacob, why are we standing here looking at one another? The hour is late. We are insufficient for the task at hand. Go to Joseph, although he did not know that Joseph was there. He pointed them in the right direction. I'm wondering this morning, are we pointing people in the right direction? Who are we pointing? What are we pointing them to? We're pointing them to some activity, to some event, to some organization, to some denomination, to some human personality. No. The message is clear. And it's plain. Look unto Jesus. The choir sang it. When Israel was later bitten with serpents and they were dying, the Lord told Moses to make a a serpent. Because he who knew no sin became sin for us. Do you ever wonder why he made a serpent? Jesus became sin for us. And that serpent was a type of Jesus Christ. Put a serpent on a pole and walk through the camp. If they'll look to the serpent, look to the serpent, they'll be, they'll be healed. Jesus was lifted high. The Bible says, look unto me, all ye ends of the earth, and be ye saved. Look to Jesus Christ. He is the Savior. Look to Him in faith as the believing thief looked to Him. Don't look to Chris Lamb. I'm in the same boat. I need a Savior and I praise the Lord that I have a Savior. And I recommend Him to you. I, know not, I don't know what else to tell you today except look to Jesus. He's ready to save. He paid the price for your sin. There's a debt you owe you cannot pay in a thousand lifetimes. He paid it all. All to Him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. What He's done for others, He'll do for you. I recommend to you to look to Jesus. Some have criticized Joseph's treatment, but do you see that Joseph must bring them to repentance? And so our Savior does as well. When you see the Lord Jesus Christ witnessing to people, He was not quick to get them all signed, sealed, and delivered as we sometimes are in our presentations. Nicodemus leaves perplexed, doesn't he? Although he had all the information that he needed. The Lord knows that the Spirit must be at work. And he tells Nicodemus, you must be born again. Nicodemus, when he hears this, that's impossible. How can these things be? He was offended, wasn't he? Jesus said, nevertheless, God so loved the world. He gave him the entire gospel. But Nicodemus leaves, and we have no knowledge at that point that Nicodemus comes to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. A little later, to a woman at the well... He talks with her and shows her her need of the Savior and her need of Him and of the water that will will satisfy. He uh, 
Lance is the ball of her sin and her sinfulness, her sinful lifestyle, because it must be dealt with. To a rich young man who thought that he had checked off all the boxes, prayed all the prayers, been to all the camps and all the revivals and shook hands with all the evangelists and had signed and sealed and delivered, and he came with that knowledge. I know that I've done everything that the Bible says to do. But it didn't salve his conscience, did it? His works didn't give him the assurance that the Holy Spirit gives to someone who's been born again. So if there's something I've not checked off the list, tell me what I need to do. And Jesus immediately dealt roughly with him, didn't he? Wouldn't you say that Jesus' treatment of the rich young ruler was somewhat rough? Go sell everything, come back and talk to me. What? He went away sorrowful because he had great riches. What was the Lord trying to show him? You're covetous. You've not kept the law perfectly. You're as covetous as the day is long. You won't sell a dime of your stuff. And so we see throughout our Lord's dealing with people how he must bring us all to a place of repentance. Repentance is not just being sorry. It's not just being sorry that we've been caught up with or wish we had a different life or wish we'd made different choices or wish we could wave a wand and have all this pain and suffering go away. It's not wishing. It's not tears in and of itself. Repentance is a work that the Spirit of God alone can do to bring us to an absolute submission to Jesus Christ as the only way. Folks, there are not many ways to heaven this morning. There's one door, and Jesus Christ is the door. By me, if any man will enter in, he shall be saved. Not through a window, not through a door of your own making. Well, I'd like this door over here. I want to go to heaven, but I want to go in through this door. And after all, it's a gold door. It's much prettier than that rough, blood-stained door that you're pointing to. I want to go to heaven. I want to be a follower of Jesus Christ. But this is the way I look at it. This door is just as good is that door. We hear that all the time, don't we? If you'll be saved this morning, you'll come to Jesus Christ on His terms and His terms alone, not through all the religious reasoning, not through all the religious organizations that you can join. If Joseph's brothers will get corn, they must go to Egypt and they must ask Joseph for it. They must humble themselves before Him. And they can't just come sashaying in wanting their plight to change. And get this thing over with. And go back home and make daddy happy again. Some people come and to make a, a false repentance or an incomplete repentance, I'll say it that way, just to get daddy happy. Or to marry the little girl that they're dating whose daddy won't let them come near her unless they come to church. And so they sign the dotted line and they go through the baptistry. But they're lost. And so Joseph is dealing with them about the truth. The truth is hard, isn't it? The truth is stubborn. The truth doesn't change because I don't like it or because I don't agree with it. Warren Wiersbe says, True reconciliation requires sincere repentance and humble confession of sin. And often it takes time for a person to get to that place. Joseph dealt with his brothers in a patient, loving in wise way, God had to bring Joseph's brothers to the place where they admitted the evil things they had done to their brother and their father. 
This is not Joseph settling a score. This is God dealing with these men. And the sin that they committed against their brother and their father. father, And he says shallow repentance leads to an experience that isn't reconciliation at all. And I'm afraid that many in churches point to that kind of experience. And they have never thoroughly dealt with their sin the feet of Jesus Christ on his terms and they're religious and sanitized and baptized and everything else eyes except evangelized. God is in control working out his eternal plan as Psalms 105 verse 16 he called for a famine upon the land. He break the whole staff of bread. He sent a man before them, even Joseph, until that time came that his word came. Israel also came to Egypt. And Jacob sojourned in the land of Ham. The Bible is silent about what was going on back in Canaan. The brothers no doubt wondered what became of Joseph. Twenty years have passed. Don't you know if you'd been responsible for selling one of your brothers into slavery that every day that passed you'd wondered, where is he? What's happened? Wonder what's become of him. And you know that Jacob, the old daddy, has not forgotten his son. And you know Joseph hasn't forgotten it. Even though the Lord has been kind and gracious to him and has exalted him, still there's a big hole in his heart for his brother's and his father. You see, there's some things that time do not change. We often say that, though, don't we? Time will heal. That's not necessarily too true. Time and the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ can make things much better. But sin has to be dealt with. Before the peace and grace and the fruits and the blessings of the Holy Spirit can be ours. We may avoid it. We may dance around it. We may act like it's not there. But there's one in heaven who sees and knows all. And he will not accept a shortcut, incomplete, surface-only repentance. So they took a caravan. They were not farmers. Their family business was cattle and sheep. And so they needed pasture land. But until that, they didn't have to depend on crops being grown. But finally, they ran out of places to feed their, to graze their, their flocks. And so because of their great wealth, they had money to buy their resources. And so they, they take a caravan, a caravan of donkeys, uh, they started going toward Egypt, and from every direction you could see these lines of caravans going to Egypt. I see one day the King of Kings and Lord of Lords sitting on David's throne, crowned with many crowns from every tribe and nation. They come, they come, they come. Bowing before Jesus Christ, the King of kings and Lord of lords. Every tongue confessing Jesus Christ is Lord. 
See all around Egypt the dusty roads, the caravans come, laden down with bags of money, coming to Joseph. They headed for Egypt. What a common sight it would have been days and days. Now, Joseph would not have dealt with every caravan that came to town, but those people of means, those from other nations and backgrounds that might be planning some espionage, some traitorous thing, Pharaoh would send them all to Joseph. And so Joseph's brothers come to him because they are from a different land. They do have great wealth. And they're different than just all the Egyptians coming in those surrounding countries they'd know about. And that's exactly what he accuses them of, doesn't he? You've come, you're spies. You've come to take advantage of our circumstances. As the caravans roll into Egypt, Joseph must have eyed each one. And don't you know in his heart he's wondering, I wonder if my brothers in that caravan, as he looked out over the balcony from his place in the palace and he saw them come north, south, east, and west to the breadbasket of Egypt. I wonder if Reuben is leading that caravan. I wonder if Daddy's in that caravan. I wonder if my brothers are coming. Elevation to the second highest in Egypt, power, authority, notoriety, wife and children, none of these things canceled out who he was, where he came from, and the gaping hole in his heart. Deep within Joseph, he knew that this was all part of God's sovereign plan. Blessed is that person who sees the hand of God in the dark places, in the bad circumstances of life, that there is a God in heaven who, who knows all things and will bring all things to his good and for our good and for his glory. Sometimes, most of the time, we can't see the whole picture. In our house during holidays, they'll often get out on the the puzzle table downstairs, some puzzle that, you know, like pieces of candy thrown on a floor, you know. Everything looks the same, or just gravel, or just they find the the most complicated puzzles they can find and and try to put them together. Have you ever tried to put a puzzle together that has no border, no, no flat edge? Even I can start a flat edge, but if it has no edge... And so they, they put these puzzles out and, and begin to put them together. I have no patience for them whatsoever. And often because of little fingers and little pudgy hands, there'll be puzzles, pieces of the puzzle under the carpet or somewhere else, and you're, you're doing the impossible thing because you don't have all that you need to put it together. And that's us. We really don't see the whole picture. And a hardcore puzzle putter together will put the box up, the, the picture up, so you can't see what you're doing. That's us. We're trying to put it together. We don't have all the pieces. or We can't see all the pieces. But he sees all the pieces, and he has all the pieces. The brothers wouldn't recognize him. He was 17 when they sold him, and now he's almost 40, 37. When they bow down before him, Joseph realizes in reality, what he had known only by promise, that God was fulfilling his word. Do you see what an emotional moment this was? It wasn't that just that his brothers were kneeling before him, that, that God's word was coming true. It's a glorious thing when prayer is answered, when we see God's word working out and, and coming true. What a blessed thing that is, that he, that he honors his word and he does exactly what he said he will do. No doubt he's choking back the tears as he deals with them through an interpreter. 
The Lord using him to bring his brothers to confession and repentance. For one thing, only ten brothers are here. There are eleven. And God does all things just exactly as he says. He doesn't almost do things. To us, this would be good enough. We've got the majority here. Let's move on. No, 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 no. All of Joseph's brothers are coming to bow before him. Remember the prophet? Remember the dream? They're not all here. God will do things to perfection. We may settle for less, but, but God never does. How can he? He is a God of perfection and holiness and righteousness. Four times Joseph accuses them of being in Egypt under false pretenses. They insist upon their truthfulness, even telling him in verse 13 that one is not. That's a euphemism. They're trying to handle it. They don't know what's happened to, to Joseph, do they? He's just not with us anymore. How can they say, well, we sold our brother as a, as a slave. We don't know what happened to him. One is not. And Benjamin is not here. He puts them into to custody for three days and then gives them an opportunity to prove their sincerity. Bring Benjamin to Egypt. He would keep one brother in custody as collateral, Simeon. God's will is to bring all the sons of Israel to Egypt. And he will have his will. We can rejoice in that today, can't we? Now, we don't know to the nth degree what all God is going to do, but we know he's going to do exactly what he wants to do. He sits in heaven and does as he pleases. Notice the work of repentance beginning in verse 22 of chapter 42. And Reuben answered them saying, Didn't I say to you, don't sin against the child and you would not hear. You wouldn't listen to me. Therefore, behold, also his blood is required. And they knew not that Joseph understood them. For he spake unto them by an interpreter, and he turned himself about from them and wept and returned to them again and communed with them and took from them Simeon and bound him before their eyes. Joseph graciously provides food for their journey back home. And he arranges a test to prove their sincerity. On their way home, they find the money that they were supposed to have paid for the, the food and the grain is still with them. And they knew, they thought it was taken. Now they're, they're doubly in trouble, aren't they? You know, sin is hard. And the wages of sin is hard. The ways of a transgressor is hard, the scripture tells us. God doesn't make it easy on sinners. His word will crush us. His word will bring us to show us that we're exactly what it says we are. That we're sinners in need of a Savior. No proud person was ever saved. No person who makes excuses for their sin will ever find repentance and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. We must absolutely become honest before him, desperate, brought low before Jesus' feet. Notice their response in verse 42. What is it that God has done unto us? They know exactly, don't they? You see, God has given to each one of us a glorious gift of conscience. Oh, praise the Lord for your conscience. It is the most wonderful gift outside the Savior that the Lord has given you because it will work 
if you do not avoid it, if you do not uh, sin against it, when your conscience is disturbed, and I would say this to every child of God on the sound of my voice, never violate your conscience. How can you know that even after salvation, even after you've repented and believed on, the Jesus, um, believed on Jesus Christ, that things are right, when your conscience is void of offense? The peace of God is one of the byproducts that you're right with the Lord. It is a, a, a byproduct of the Holy Spirit in your heart. Never violate that conscience that answers to the Scripture. How can I know that I'm right with the Lord? We're approaching the Lord's table tonight. and We encourage all of our people to, to be at the Lord's house this evening and to this t- special time of, of family gathering and of introspection and of going before the Lord and asking Him to search us and try us and know our hearts and thoughts and see if there be any wicked way. Brother Lamb, how can I know that I've dealt with everything that I should when your conscience does not bear witness against you? Quite simply that. We see Joseph's response in verse 36, hinting that Jacob's response, when they tell their daddy all about it, he, he, he hints that, that he realized all along what they had done. Don't you know that Jacob, deep in his heart, knew what his sons had done? The horror of living with that, with them, all these years. In verse 36, the Bible says, And Jacob their father said unto them, Me have ye bereaved of my children. He's accusing them. I know what you've done. You have bereaved me of my children. Joseph is not. Simeon is not. And you will take Benjamin away. All these things are against me. No, Jacob, they're not. They may seem as they are, but they're not. We who know the Lord knows that we know all things work together for good to them who are the called according to the call of the Lord. The Bible tells us there in Romans eight twenty eight. We know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are called according to his purpose. Jacob needs to be reminded of some things, and the Lord is going to remind him that, of that very thing. There's a process in even a believer's life that we must be reminded of our, our Lord's work and what he's done and what he is going to do. For those outside of Christ, those things are allowed of God to drive you to Jesus Christ. These things have brought Jacob and his sons to Egypt, because God has a master plan. He intends to lead them there for over 300 years while he deals with the heathen nations around them, till he builds up a great nation through whom the Savior would come. All of that is based on them getting to Egypt. But if you persist in your rebellion and sin, those very sins will, will catch up with you and crush you. We see, if, if anything else we see about this text is be sure your sin will find you out. Time and truth march hand in hand and both will ultimately be revealed. Flee to Christ. Go to Joseph. Go to Jesus. Run to the Savior. We see the rest of the story over in Genesis chapter 50. Would you turn there? We're going to just fast forward as we end this morning. We leave Jacob weeping. I I feel so sorry for the old father there. His heart is breaking and he's weeping. And he says, you've taken my my sons from me. Then he cries out as if to the Lord and to them. 
All these things are against me. And I know, I know that I'm speaking to some this morning that you feel just that way. Pastor, I've tried to do the right thing. I've tried to live right, and every time I turn around, you just don't know the predicament I'm in. All these things are against me. You just don't have all the pieces of the puzzle. And you don't have the box lid. You can't see the whole picture of what it's supposed to look like. But there's one who does. And we must get the rest of the story. There's always an end to the story. And we as God's people have the, 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 the blessing of knowing the whole story, don't we? When you turn to Genesis chapter 50, you see there in verse 15, the rebuttal. In a debate, you have one side present their case in a rebuttal, and Jacob says, all these things are against me. And then you, we leave for a while, but I want to tell Jacob, no, they're not. Jacob, this is the rest of the story. And when Joseph's brethren saw that their father was dead... They still didn't think that Joseph would forgive them. They've been there all these years. We fast-forwarded several years ahead. Joseph, peradventure, will hate us and will certainly requite us of all the evil which we did unto him. And they sent a messenger unto Joseph, saying, Thy father did command before he died, saying, So shall you say unto Joseph, Forgive, I pray thee now. They're pulling out a, a, a card. Daddy said for you to forgive us. Joseph, remember what Daddy said? He told us to tell you when he died that you better forgive us and their sin and what they did unto thee evil. And now we pray thee, forgive the trespass of the servants of the God of our, thy father. And Joseph wept when they spake unto him. And his brethren also when they went and fell down before his face and they said, Behold, we be thy servants. We see a picture of thorough repentance. Not just being upset. Not just being caught up. Not just needing grain and can't pay for it. Not just daddy finding out the whole story. Not all those things that may be bringing tears right now. And not that daddy is dead now and can't stand between us and our brother. Now he's really going to deal with us. His brethren also went and fell down before his face and they said, Behold, we are thy servants. Would you go to Jesus Christ? Say, we're your, I'm, your, I'm your slave. Here I am. I'll be your slave. Whatever you ask of me, you can do it to me or I will do it for you. I have no other hope, no other way out, no other way into heaven. You're the Savior. I'm the sinner. And I come. Joseph said to them, fear not, for I, am I in the place of God? I'm using a type here, but Joseph stops us here this morning and says, what, am I God? I'm not God. Only God can save Joseph's brothers, and you can't save your children. You can't, no matter how much you love someone, you can't save them. Joseph can't save his brothers. There is a God in heaven who can. Am I in the place of God? But as for you, you thought it evil against me, but... Joseph has seen the, the end of the things of the Lord. He knows Romans eight twenty eight before it's written by experience. But God meant it unto good to bring to pass as it is this day to save much people alive. Now therefore fear ye not. I will nourish you and your little ones 
and he comforted them and spake kindly to them. Comfort can only come after true repentance has been, been manifest. The comfort will come. So often as the preacher is the soul winner, we want to give comfort before there's genuine repentance for the comfort to come. The comfort will come. The Lord lavishes his gifts on his children. He is not stingy with his grace and with his assurance and all those other things that accompany salvation. But you can't do the work of the Holy Spirit and you can't give God's gifts, the Spirit's gifts, to those who would come dishonestly before him. But we end with this. You are never in so low a situation that God cannot help. And the worse our condition, the more wonderful his power and his deliverance. There is no sinner so sinful that the Savior cannot save. The songwriter said, All my life long I had panted for a drink from some cool spring that I hoped would quench the burning of the thirst I felt within. Feeding on the husk around me till my strength was almost gone. Longed my soul for something better, only still to hunger on. Poor I was and sought for riches, something that would satisfy. But the dust I gathered round me only mocked my soul's sad cry. Well of water ever springing, bread of life so rich and free, untold wealth that never faileth my Redeemer is to me. Hallelujah, I have found him whom my soul so long has craved. Jesus satisfies my longings. Through his blood, I now am saved. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we come this morning, this Lord's Day morning, and ask that your word be fulfilled to every heart here today. We, we point people to, to Jesus Christ, to our Savior. Lord, we would open their eyes if we could, but all we can do is tell them and even the preaching of the gospel is foolishness until you enable them to believe. And we pray that the Spirit of God would be powerful and mightily bring souls to the Savior today. May those outside of Christ come and bow low at Jesus' feet and receive this gift offered to them because of the work of our Savior. You have put him in that place that the right hand on majesty of power on high, the Savior intervening, interceding, who gave his life to, to pay for the debt of our sin. Oh, Lord, save the lost. We pray that if it would please you that they would make their conversion public and that they would follow you and profess you before men because you said, those that confess me before my Father, I will confess before men. Lord, bless your work and your word today. In Jesus' precious name.